sometimes you need to hit the pause button as a clinician um, and a researcher and say, hang on, this is what my underlying assumption is. We want to be evidence-based practitioners, but in fact, this is just how we should practice. Ethics is every part of every clinical decision that we make. And what it is that we do is we make lives better. Welcome to Speak Up, the Speech Pathology Australia podcast. This podcast series highlights conversations with esteemed contributors in the speech pathology space. We explore key issues in the profession in a short and easy to listen to format. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say. Hi there, I'm Annika Flynn, speech pathologist and member of the Vic Branch CPD committee. Today, I have the pleasure of chatting to Associate Professor Marlene Westerveld, who we all know is the guru of spontaneous language performance across discourse contexts. So thank you so much, Marlene, for joining me. Today, we get to explore the wonderful world of narratives. So I'm just wondering to start, why do you think the area of narratives is so interesting and so important? Yeah, well, thank you for having me. And um, I'm more than happy to talk about narratives. Um, Really, I think, in a way, narratives um, are a social skill. So narratives uh, connect us to other people. um, We use them to share our experiences and our stories. And we use them to entertain. So during the early preschool years and then early school years, children are exposed to narratives on a daily basis. They are um, highly relevant to the school curriculum. They're important for um, classroom participation. And they have been, um, they show strong links with reading comprehension performance. So what we know about narratives is that um, narrative performance during the preschool years is predictive of future academic success. And that's actually quite an old study by now by um, Bishop, Dorothy Bishop and Adams back in 1990. So this is not a new construct. And then finally, of course, um, as speech pathologists, we all know that narrative difficulties are a persistent characteristic of um, the children we work with um, who have language impairment. Mm-hmm. Um, what I want to add to this is when we talk about narratives, we generally seem to focus on fictional narratives. So that is sort of our ability to um, retell or generate um, a made up story. And what we sometimes forget is that another really important narrative context is personal narratives. So that is really our ability to um, share past personally experienced events um, that are meaningful to us and that are important to us. So um, why I wanted to bring that one up is because what we know about um, personal narratives is that they're really important to provide that sort of social connectedness with other people. You know, it's the sharing of our personal stories that um, is important for our social emotional development and gives us a sense of emotional um, or, yeah, well-being and has been shown to be a protective factor for um, mental wellness. So um, what we know is that if we're good at Um, producing and sharing sort of um, well-sequenced personal event narratives, then we're more able or better at processing negative life events and developing that sense of self-identity. So it helps us develop um, our sort of life story. So I just wanted to put that out there. So I'll be talking a little bit about fictional narratives, but definitely also about personal narratives. 
So how would we go? Should we be including both of those type of narratives in our assessment? I know I may be speaking for myself, but my narrative assessment is not always my strong point. But uh, how would you suggest we go about assessing those different elements of narrative? Yeah, so I think when we consider narrative assessment, our first big question has to be um, why? You know, what is what do we want to find out um, doing our narrative assessment because we only have we have very little time available don't we to do the assessments and I think everyone thinks oh my goodness I'll have to transcribe them so let's choose the context that we think is most relevant to that particular child so what we need to do then is we need to think about um, the child's age of course and personal narratives develop from a younger age, from about three and a half. Um, Kids will embed personal narratives in their everyday conversations. Mm. Um, And then from about four, four and a half years of age, children should be able to retell simple stories. Um, We also want to think about what is important in that child's life at that particular moment in time. So if the child goes to school, then at that moment, um, you know, fictional narratives may be um, quite important for accessing the curriculum or reading comprehension. Although personally, event stories are important for journal writing, for example, or for sharing what kids have done during the weekend. Mm -hmm. So keep, yeah, just think about what would give you the most um, important information. Um, Then of course we also want to consider is narrative actually the best context um, for eliciting spontaneous language to sort of confirm or confute my standardized um, test results. So we won't talk about it today, but we can of course also consider um, conversational um, context or expository or persuasion. So we have a kid then that we know through our assessment is really, really struggling in this area. What advice do you give to our speeches in terms of actually developing those skills across different ages? Okay, so if we're thinking about, um, you're thinking about um, providing narrative intervention, is that what you're asking? Yeah, so we can... um, When I run my workshops, we always think about they can we can always use narrative for intervention, right? If a child is good at producing a sort of coherent, well-sequenced narrative, we could still use narratives as the context for intervention. Because if we use, for example, books, and this is, of course, fictional narratives, then it makes the whole session more cohesive. And the child is more likely then to practice those skills outside your clinic room if if that's how you provide your services. or we can actually have narratives as the goal of our intervention. And that could, of course, um, include working on the overall structure of the narrative um, to make sure that it contains all the story grammar elements, or it could, and or, it could include working on um, more microstructure elements, like using the appropriate um, vocabulary or good grammatical structures and so on. Now, when you're asking me what are some of the good tips, then what I'm going to suggest, I'm going to flip that around. And I think we need to consider what are the critical elements of a good quality narrative intervention program, right? Because there are quite a few nice programs available. And basically what we need to do is need to look at the critical elements. So what are the critical elements of a good quality um, narrative intervention? And the first one is it needs to be systematic. So we need to systematically um, introduce 
new ideas or new story grammar elements. The other one is it needs to be explicit. We need to really explain to the child why. Why are we talking about stories in a certain way? Why are we talking about story grammar elements, for example? And we need to use um, visual organizers as well to really help the children, give them support to um, try and um, apply, um, for example, the story grammar structure model to their retelling of narratives, if that makes sense. And then the third um, critical element is that we need to have a component of like skills-based intervention as well as strategy-based intervention. So, and you'll know that from, for example, when you're targeting grammar, if we just drill um, certain sentences that won't necessarily generalize to everyday conversation. So we need to give the children some strategies of how do we actually attack a new story? Because now that we're good at um, retelling one story, what do we do with the next story? And then the final one is repetition. Repetition, repetition, repetition. And it's really um, those learning principles. And I think they're starting to come through more and more that um, just asking the child to do it once won't make a difference. Mm. Um, but we really need to find ways where we can embed practice within our session, within the child's daily life um, at home or at school. And I'm really curious to know your thoughts, particularly with school age kids, in regards to working on narrative orally or in written language. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, look, it, I suppose it depends. There is some good evidence that suggests that embedding written language in our oral language interventions is um, best practice, right? And it makes sense because if you have difficulty processing spoken language and you provide the children with a written component, then it will stay there for a little bit longer. So it gives them another, um, it gives them support, I suppose. Now, of course, on the flip side, we often have children who have real difficulties with reading and who may find that actually the focus on reading may take away from enjoying the story for what it is and it will add a component that makes it too difficult. So I think a focus on oral language where we embed um, written language as much as we can is probably the best way forward until um, perhaps further research is done. So I know that you, uh, obviously, this is such an interesting topic for you and you've done lots of research in it. What are you curious about in regards to narrative at the moment? What's kind of, what sort of thoughts have you got of curiosity around the research in this area? Yeah, I think um, I would really like to do more, see more work done around personal narrative intervention. I think one of the um, perhaps myths is that um, personal narratives and fictional narratives have that same underlying story structure, and they don't. You know, there's yeah. actually some emerging evidence to suggest that, um, and this is not, no, I shouldn't say emerging, it's been around for a while, it just hasn't um, received enough attention, but that um, the underlying structure of personal narratives is different to um, fictional narratives. You know, personal narratives don't necessarily have to be problem-oriented or goal-directed, if that makes sense. It really has this deep sort of um, meaning, um, yeah, meaning attached to it. You really have to use a different type of language 
to relate those. So what I would like to see is, is a bigger emphasis on personal narrative intervention. And what we've been doing is we've been um, trialing a personal narrative intervention for children with Down syndrome. There were actually um, uh, teenagers or tweens, if you like, and um, it was fascinating. You know, it was tricky to pull off because progress was slow and it was hard to keep kids motivated. But the parents really enjoyed it and actually said that their children often um, didn't respond with a personal narrative when you know, people ask them, how was your weekend? Mm -hmm. You know, would just stick to one or two learned little phrases and that would then stop the conversation. So, yeah, yeah, that's probably one of the um, avenues of research I want to pursue further. Absolutely. That would make such a big difference to some of those kids' lives, definitely. Um, If people want more information about narratives, where would you suggest they go? All right. Well, I'm going to mention my website and there is no financial interest here. So my website is, um, if you know how to spell my name, you'll find my website because what I'm trying to do is um, put lots of links up there to amazing resources to do with um, spontaneous language um, sampling analysis, but also intervention. And you'll find links there to the program I developed as part of my PhD research, but also links to um, Suze Leto and her colleagues' website, where um, Emily Dawes has some, done some fantastic research on inferential comprehension within a narrative context. And there are links to Ron Gillum's website where you can download his resources. So I'm sure there there are many more out there. So yes, please do visit my website. And if you can't find it, email me. And a fantastic library of photos, I must say, that I have downloaded and laminated at work. They're amazing. Oh, perfect. So what you're referring to is a a big photo bank of of, um, photos of kids doing normal things that we have used in our personal narrative intervention for the children with Down syndrome, just to give them something meaningful to talk about. So yeah, absolutely free and kindly donated by many of my colleagues. Well, they're amazing, clear, beautiful photos. So thank you so much. I could really sit here and chat with you all day about this, but um, I know I can't. So thank you so much again for your time and um, just all your contributions to our profession that are very, very um, appreciated by our speeches on the ground. So thanks for joining me. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and bye for now.